Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 4, Issue 175 of the Cane and Rinse Podcast. You can play along with Cane and Rinse Volume 4. Our next five podcasts include Wolfenstein, The New Order, then it's God Hand. After that, Too Human. Then we conclude our Silent Hill series with Downpour. And following that, it's Killer7. Head to canerince.com for the full schedule up to the end of the volume now, as well as the blog and links to our shop, uh, where you can support the podcast by buying fabulous Cane and Rinse gear. And we also have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel, of course. Uh, and we have another podcast. You may not have uh, picked up on this yet, but it's our Sound of Play podcast. Uh, it's all about our love of video games music. Seek that out as well. Please review, rate, and most importantly, subscribe to both on iTunes. And we'll be ever so grateful. Thank you. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And we're just adding an idiot. It's Special Agent Nick Parton. <laughs> Hello. Did you get that much at school, the whole Special Agent thing? All the time. You didn't, did you? No. Oh, it's a shame. Right, uh, here we are. So, um, just for context, at the time of recording, uh, this has been the week of the announcement that uh, following uh, Hideo Kojima's very public falling out with Konami um, and uh, confirmation from Guillermo del Toro and Norman Reedus, uh, the Silent Hills game uh, that was uh, previewed with the playable teaser on PS4 is no longer happening um, despite petitions. Now, we're not going to talk about the future of the franchise specifically in this podcast. We may uh, have a little bit of speculation in, in the downpour one, but um, it may, you know, it may, uh, it may inform our conversation somewhat. So I think it's worth mentioning that, that that's what has happened this week. Obviously, when we planned this series of Silent Hill podcasts months and months ago, uh, we had no idea. If anything, we were thinking that it would be quite good because we'd be leading up to the release of the long-awaited, uh, you know, latest uh, or sort of reboot of, of the franchise. But uh, it appears that, in fact, our downpour podcast will probably be our last ever Silent Hill podcast. So there you go. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, now, next, uh, definitely worth issuing a spoiler warning for Silent Hill Shattered Memories. Now, there is, uh, there's a very personal aspect to this game in, in that, uh, depending on the way you play, your ending will be uh, different, and we'll talk about how different it, it can be. Um, but there is, in terms of uh, straightforward narrative, there is, there is quite a spectacular uh, sort of happening towards the end of the game that uh, is something that I'm very glad I didn't know going into this i've managed to avoid it for five years and uh and you should too if you want to play this game it's not a very long game i think it took me about seven to eight hours um and it was fairly plain sailing all the way uh, although i may have had a little help from a walkthrough with certain sections and we'll talk about those as well <laughs> right uh let's start with our guest nick and uh, did you buy silent hill shattered memories when it first came out on the wii or did you come to it more recently well neither actually um the, the the thing is, is as a horror fan in general, I'm I'm kind of used to franchises being much abused, such as Hellraiser, Alien, Ringu, all that. So I had no real reason to be more than passingly interested in mm. Shattered Memories after Origins and Homecoming. And I was actually quite interested in Homecoming um, up to release. Um, but a friend of mine bought a copy for the Wii and just invited me round Um uh, one evening and we we did the thing in a whole single eight hour stretch 
All which right. was okay. yeah, quite a nice, quite a nice way to play it. Actually, I think it's a game that you know demands that sort of but the attention. Uh, I suppose that may have affected um, sort of how you play the game because one of the, the the key things about this game is, and and of course you know it's even got a splash screen warning saying you know this game plays you as much as you play it. Mm. Um, but if there's two of you, I mean, there's already certain things to discuss about what it's actually analysing. But if there's two of you, how are you sort of deciding how you play? Were you just like backseat playing, or um, I was backseat playing basically, apart from the the puzzles. But when it came to the the sort of psychological aspects. Um, I, I, I kind of saw what they were trying to do, so I, I generally let let my friend go ahead and do what he did. So it's almost more of a psychological profile of him oh, than, right, okay. than it was of. Uh, All right, well, that gives us uh, an interesting perspective. Yeah. Technically, I should throw you off the show for this, but uh, <laughs> but seeing as we've come this far, Josh, what about you? Um, so I didn't buy this day one. Um, uh, because I think, like many people, I just assumed. Well, every, everyone talked um, about how Silent Hill: Homecoming was a massive disappointment and all of that. So why why should I go into Silent Hill: Shattered Memories with any high hopes whatsoever? Um, but then the word of mouth started to spread across. Uh, all corners of the internet about how this was a Silent Hill game that was taking risks. This was one that was creative and did did something new with the formula. wasn't It didn't feel like um, a construct that that was trying to please fan desperately trying to please fans. It felt like something fresh for the series, and that uh, tempted me. So I did at like. I did manage to play it um, during the year of release um, uh, uh, at some point during 2010. Mm. And yeah, um, yeah, th- this. Uh, I'll, I'll get into detail later, but yeah. um, I, I think that this game really caught me by surprise. Yeah, okay. Um, it's a game, yeah, there's, there's very little to talk about in terms of difficulty levels or anything like that because yeah. it's a game that you just play through and it's, it is what it is and, and you finish it. You can play it through multiple times and, and play it different ways if you want, but I think probably for most people the first experience will be the one. Um, so the developers, Climax Studios, now I think we possibly made a mistake um, in our Origins show and it's understandable because, frankly, uh, having three different development studios all with the name Climax actually multiple if you include uh, the various Climaxes uh, around the world um, that were um, but this this Climax is uh, the one who converted Warcraft 2 to, to PlayStation Saturn uh, that converted Serious Sam Next Encounter to PlayStation Saturn made uh, ATV Offroad Fury 3 um, and MotoGP Ulti- oh hang on no that means it is that Climax I'm really confused <laughs> I don't think there may be a relationship between the climaxes. Anyway, it's not the climax from Japan that made uh, Landstalker and Dark Savior um, and things like that. But uh, it's it's an American studio called Climax, and uh, the uh, the producer was Tom Hewlett, who we talked about on the Downpour show, who was the guy who was. Uh, it seemed that if you delve into the um, the real Silent Hill uh, hardcore communities that he was much reviled, but actually once some interviews came out, the ones we talked about 
on the previous podcast, uh, it seemed that if anything, you know, he did have, in some ways, he had Silent Hill's best interests at heart, and he was a big fan of the team Silent Games. So, um, but there it is, uh, and uh, Sam Barlow returned to to write it as well. Uh, and as we said, the game uh, came out first in North America at the end of two thousand nine. Made sense; it was a, it's got a wintry theme, um, and we had to wait until February twenty ten. Came out in March the next month, and Australia the next month. I don't know why then. Uh, there were also PS2 and PSP ports, um, which uh, changes the interface somewhat. But so none of us have actually played those no. versions. No, uh, I believe some mm. of our correspondents later have. So, so that may inform them. Uh, and the PS2 version came out on. You can download it, I believe, on PS3 from the PlayStation Network store uh, as of um, April last year, 2014. Uh, the com- composer is once again Akira Yamaoka. Um, he returns, um, and we'll talk about whether, you know, how we feel about the soundtrack to this one um, when we get to that obvious point. Uh, I think it's worth talking about the critical reception on this one. Um, it was largely positive. The Wii version, um, and again, you could, you know, there's there are always circumstances. There's always context. You could. You could argue that, you know, by this point, the Wii was perhaps uh, starved of kind of core games for people to play. So maybe that elevated its score on the Wii somewhat. But its uh, its game rankings average is almost 80%, whereas on the, the PS2, it's a few percent lower. But it's still over 76%. So, um, yeah, a reasonably positive uh, reception. The PSP version lower still. Um, I don't know if there are technical issues or, or anything with that one. Um, and sales-wise... Uh, it racked up um, in grand total across all the, the versions across all the world 1.3 million. So, uh, again, without knowing its budget, who knows if that's a success or not. But, um, yeah, on those three already aging formats, I guess that's probably not a disaster, but I don't know. So, uh, we're back in Silent Hill. Uh, but we're back in the Silent Hill of Silent Hill 1, but we're not. Uh, Josh, would you care to explain? <laughs> so um, this game is sort of a remake of the first game. Um, you, you play as Harry Mason and um, the char- you're trying to find your daughter, Cheryl Mason, much like Silent Hill 1. It's kind of the exact same setup. You You crash in Silent Hill and you're trying to find your daughter. But it quickly diverges from that uh, uh, that setup that uh, the original game set down and goes in uh, a very different direction. So a lot of the game is um, influenced by uh, uh, your visits with this psychiatrist that happen at certain points throughout the game. And at the beginning, you, you actually have no idea... Uh, whose eyes you're seeing through uh, and it's deliberately kept a mystery throughout and we'll discuss that later I'm sure but well, yes my assumption was it was the the the, the protagonist yeah. Harry Mason of the game uh, and I mean this is why we've already issued a spoiler warning because yeah. <laughs> because it might not be right yeah <laughs> yeah but um so uh, like straight off, uh, the psychiatrist uh, gives you like a questionnaire, and uh, some of the questions are: I make, uh, do you make friends easily? Having a drink helps me relax, etc., uh, etc. Et and um, uh, go, doing some research on the game, uh, I've discovered that um, all of this information uh, feeds into. Uh, 
uh, PI stats. So one of uh, there's like five key ones. There's sexual, uh, friendliness, family, alcoholic, and fake. And all five of those, um, depending on how uh, much uh, your decisions feed into those five categories, um, they change and influence the way the game is played. Um, there are there are certain, there are moments where it's less subtle. Like they'll get you to paint a house, and then the house is the same color as the drawing you've made. But there's stuff with uh, like the police officer where her appearance will change depending on what you look at in the environment um uh yeah and that that's essentially the setup for silent hill uh, shattered memories it's a remake of the first one but then uses choices and decisions and all of these um uh, these uh, sessions with the psychiatrist to adapt the the game experience to your uh to you to you uh, specifically that's right. And um, yeah, I was sort of fascinated straight away. So he's, I think he's introduced just as Dr. K, but obviously yeah. that relates back to Dr. Kaufman from the original um, story with the Order and Alessa and all that. But none of that is in this game whatsoever. There is There are no references. However, a number of the characters are back, um, but they're slightly different. Yeah. Um, so for instance, uh, the cop, Sybil, is now not from Brahms. She's from... Uh, from Silent Hill itself um, and she doesn't really look like the original Sybil unless you let your your first person roving eye uh, sort of linger on sexy images in the game that's interesting uh, yeah. like it almost sexualizes the character back to what it originally was that's it yeah, curious yeah um, and obviously, I mean, something I want to talk about later is how, sort of, how you act with your your first person eye in these in these one to one scenes, and indeed, just generally looking around the world, is kind of dependent on the character that you're playing and the character that you think you're playing. So, the idea that the game is actually psych profiling the player is, I think, slightly disingenuous because you're always role playing to a point. Yeah. So, I know that mm. some people have said wow the you know the psych profile it gave me at the end was uncannily accurate and and all that but actually it wasn't for me because i i was playing the game rather than being me you know like mm. and i was actually i suppose maybe it was partly that i was conscious that if i would you know i i knew that if i went up to like there's a there's a point where you can go into a brothel and depending on how sexually motivated you've been up to that point the brothel is kind of more it's it, it can have different names and it can be more seedy yeah um, but if you then go into that brothel and look at all the pictures on the walls and dial the numbers of the hookers and all this sort of thing uh, on your smartphone, then it takes you down this, you know, this character is a very, you know, very sexual person path. Um, obviously, some, you know, somebody who is yeah, motivated in that way and, and finds women attractive. There's no there's no sort of I don't think there's I don't think there's any opportunity for Harry to be gay in this game because um, we know he's got a daughter. We know he's a family man. So um, it's pretty much all about whether you're looking uh, at yeah scantily clad women or looking at the breasts of characters who are talking to you instead of their eyes and stuff like that. Yeah. But again, it's not really... Uh, I think it's really cool, but it's not really natural because I know that in in real life, a lot of the times, if 
if a heterosexual man is talking to a woman and he's looking at her breasts, he's completely unaware of it. Whereas in this, you've got a wee pointer and you've got a big eye on the screen. Yeah. So you could, so you're very obviously conscious of where you're looking, and it's very, you know. And if you if you just sort of deliberately pan your your big white eye icon down and just stare it at someone's breasts, it's kind of it's not really the same as in the real world where you might be taking you know microscopic glances in in a direction and and picking up on certain signals from. From a woman, and and Harry's Harry himself is he's not a silent protagonist either. He does speak, so it's not yeah. it's not like you're playing a blank slate, which is to be filled in with your own psychological peccadilloes, as it were. He's, That's he's true. already partially a character in and of himself. I suppose the I mean the 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 psych the psychoanalysis sections are you are silent in that because you can only. Uh, confirm to the positive and negative with nods and shakes of the head uh, using the mm. Wii remote but uh, but as we've already discussed um, yeah I mean we always spoil games so here it comes um, you are not uh, the character who is being psych profiled is not in fact Harry it is in fact Cheryl the character that you're purportedly looking for the entire game that's the big twist and we've already outed it but i think it's important uh for the for the discussion of the game but what i will say is and i don't know about the rest of you um i had not worked it out i did not even think uh that that was what was coming and it really did change the way like even the presentation of the game when you first load up the game uh the like the option screens are presented as a as a video of mm. uh, like a family video of of uh harry and cheryl yeah, you know, going on a trip and and all this sort of thing, and it completely changed the emphasis for me. You know, like yeah. you're, you think yeah. you're you think Agreed. you're being given one emotion, but in fact you're you're being sold another entirely. And I have to say, um, I, I didn't manage to complete it for a second time for this podcast, but I did attempt to uh, play through a fair chunk of it again. And knowing that going in this time um, lent the earlier sections of that game. Uh, an entirely different meaning than they yeah. had the first time um much like i mean that's basically what you're saying like it just it recontextualizes uh, mm. everything that happens before uh in a way where now i'm looking at like all these um these ghosts where you can take pictures of them and and uh the the sections where your flashlight flat uh glares and and breaks and what have you and then mm. suddenly you get a message on your phone now it makes more sense because you realize that this is all feeding into her psychology not harry mason's That's and right. um it everything just ties together a lot better when you realize it's from a different character's perspective mm. see that's interesting because i you know i've i've never been um compelled to revisit the experience in this in the sense that um I, I never have with the Walking Dead or or Heavy Rain because mm. I felt like a certain way it was experienced to to kind of go back and either well try different things or or mm. what have you would re- reveal sides of a story that I, I I didn't feel was the one that I you know that had the same yeah. impact because obviously it was uh, you know it was running through it again. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But I, I actually had the thing where I wanted to immediately start playing it again, like when you've watched, uh, again, I'll, I won't say their titles, but there are certain films, you know, that you know when, when the end, when you see the end for the first time, you, you want to go back and watch the rest of it to see 
uh, how you were being kind of played the whole time. And I, I had that, I had that, and uh, I did, I did play the first about the first three quarters of an hour again just to see. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Certainly understand the impetus. Yeah. I think the difference between um, games like The Walking Dead and Heavy Rain and uh, and this, for me, is that those games are a real story that's taking I'm taking place in a reality, whereas this feels like uh, like an exploration through somebody's mind in a lot of ways, and because of that, um, I didn't really have the whole. Uh, well, this is my story, and uh, that's how it's going to be. Uh, for me, it was more like I there are nooks and crannies of this of this person's brain that I haven't explored. Um, mm. Unfortunately, I think that kind of because the game's mission seems to be about trying to get inside your head, and I don't. And I think to a certain degree it does. But like Leon said, I, I'm kind of role playing throughout this entire experience. I'm not being me. Um, yeah. Or th- th- I mean, there. I, I try to answer the the psych profile questions as honestly as possible. But even still, like I I feel like I'm exploring Cheryl's brain and Cheryl's psychology. So I I was compelled to go through it again just because I wanted to get to know this character more, and it felt like I was getting a better sense of who she was and fleshing her out on the second playthrough if that makes sense so the concept is that actually what's happening is that um cheryl is suffering from uh complex grief so she lost her father her father didn't lose her that that is the ultimate twist but so what the game we're playing is essentially the figment of Cheryl's uh, sort of fevered imagination or, or her psychosis in this case, you know, to this, to this extent. And so, I mean, that, as I say, that sort of creates an interesting thing in itself in that we're playing a video game. So we have as much agency over Harry as we do. Yeah. I, we can, you know, choose which order to do things or whether to do things at all in the, you know, you can just stop playing as we talked about before. Mm. Um, we, it's us who decides to continue the experience. Um, but we're assuming that we're kind of playing it in the normal way that you play a video game in that, that in you have that sort of odd relationship with your avatar. But in fact, it's Cheryl's, what you're creating is Cheryl's idea of, her father so you can he can end up being a very warm soft cuddly you know innocent family man or you know if if you've played it a certain way one of the endings reveals that he's a kind of womanizing uh a a womanizer um there's another one where he's he's a kind of abusive drunk um so you're i suppose you're you're sort of trying to recreate the harry that actually was yeah rather than it's you know but but then again cheryl was very young when he died in the car crash so maybe she's extrapolating you know so there could be the idea that she's deliberately making him out to be a worse person than he was to make the grief easier to deal with yeah yeah and things like that it it, it almost reminds me of um in some ways kentucky route zero where you're essentially writing the character's backstory as you go along and so you know it it's it seems to be that um as you uh do these psychological profiling exercises and whatever else you're slowly you're slowly building up the image of the character yourself you're slowly yeah. kind of patchworking it together um 
which really is a curious approach the more the more you think about it it is yeah so josh you played it a couple of months after it was released whereas i've played it uh this year just uh finished it the other night um and somehow i you know i've like you said even even back then you'd already heard sort of um people saying oh you know it, it was doing interesting things taking risks and uh i heard even back then on on podcasts uh about this this profiling idea and actually i i didn't say but i bought the game later that year at some point mm. um i also uh i you know it um heavy rain came around came out around the same time and i think i got dragged into that uh sort of hype as well if i can say that and yeah. um and i ended up playing that at the time and shatter memories again as we've said with some of the previous silent hill podcasts um you know, I was still at a stage where I'd never even finished the second Silent Hill, so it didn't seem right to be going, you know, going straight in and playing the recent uh, reboot of the original. But I was interested enough to buy it when I saw it cheap. So uh, essentially, it's been sitting on my shelf for several years until I played it. But fortunately, I had managed to find not to find out about a lot of the stuff, including the major twist, which we have now spoiled for listeners who have come this far and not played the game before. Um, but we'll talk later about whether we, st- you know, whether we still think it's worth people uh, giving it a go, uh, despite the fact that we will have torn it wide open for them. Um, so another thing we always like to talk about with these Silent Hill podcasts um, is something that we had a lot of problems with with the early Team Silent games and we generally as a as a group <clears throat> probably have suggested that we f- feel slightly more comfortable with the performances the voice acting as the series has gone on yeah um in this game i found it to be again it was um so this was coming a couple of years after um the last one we did <laughs> I've forgotten the title. homecoming <laughs> homecoming it had a huge profound effect on me um and again we're in a i'd say we're in a similar sort of uh situation of you know not necessarily the most uh outstanding stellar cutscenes of voice acting but but not 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 appalling either you know perfectly yeah. serviceable I think the writing is slightly better. I, I say slightly. I think it's a lot better than uh, Homecoming. Mm. Um, that's not to say it's brilliant. I think there's just a, 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 just a better standard throughout. Um, it, mm. I, there was less of the cheesy uh, kind of stereotypical characters that we found in Homecoming. People seemed a bit, you know, a bit more fleshed out and a bit more complex. Well, I, I, I certainly agree. That I mean, I was struck by the more sort of rounded realization of the the ensemble cast surrounding harry um which i I think silent hill sometimes fails to do i mean in particular i think dahlia was a consistently um good and believable and well-acted character on my playthrough um because i got the the as it were the punk version of her with short hair uh, yeah. spiked here and a voice actor I think it, Laura Bailey um, mm-hmm. I thought she really played it with just the right sense of sort of disaffection and sort of sly humour um, yeah it's, it's one of those casts of uh, names that you'll know if you follow the names of video game and uh, animation actors there's no yeah. sort of you know live action superstars as such but Mary Mary Elizabeth McGlynn plays Michelle uh, she's well-known voice actor mm. Kirk Thornton plays Harry Mason who's who's less well-known uh, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, there's there's a few in there who um, and, and actually, I'm, IMDb has them all listed as uh, uncredited. So I don't know. If I thought that even, was curious. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's even a cast list on the game. It sort of takes takes us back to the days of um, the original Metal Gear Solid, where uh, where the, the the actors actually didn't want their names on the product because or you know had it didn't pseudonyms. seem like. Yeah, it didn't seem like a very good career move, but um, but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, familiar, you know, safe hands in the performances, and um, yeah, and I think Sam Barlow's writing is 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 you know is is all right. There weren't too many scenes where I was, uh, you know, either chuckling inappropriately or getting frustrated, but I, I think it does it does have the thing, and actually, you see this in a lot of American TV drama, where there's a lot of stuff that's unsaid that would obviously be said in that situation. Mm. So yeah. there's a lot of kind of, you know, I don't know what's going on, right? you know, or, you know, sort of general um, hinting towards the madness rather than saying, I don't, you won't believe what just happened to me, right? I was in this, uh, yeah. everywhere suddenly went all frozen. And then, and then these weird monsters were chasing me. And then, and it was, and yeah, so that doesn't happen. There's just a lot of kind of, I don't that, know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that, that is, I think, one thing that, that that makes it difficult to watch um, or, or or play, sort of, especially the original Silent Hill. Yeah. It's a vast amount of exposition that would happen in in the cutscenes. Um, I mean, I maybe it sounds controversial, but I, I mean, the script and voice acting are of a much higher quality than anything from the translated and revoiced, you know, Team Silent games. Um, uh, you know, I must stress, of course, that I've no idea how the ori- original Japanese script and cast are regarded in terms of quality. But certainly, when it came to um, yeah, revoicing it with uh, with English speaking actors, uh, it, the step up in quality quality is really noticeable. I think I could be wrong, but I think it's one of the games, uh, as with the original Resident Evil, that was always in uh, was always dubbed in in that way. I don't think there was an original Japanese voice cast. I think. Um, oh. I, th- I think, and actually, that you know, in a, in a way, that's the reason that the you know the voice work on both the original Silent Hill and the original Resident Evil was so kind of um, you know ridiculed in the West was because actually they weren't you know they were they were primarily designed for a Japanese audience to hear. So in the same way that we might not spot the subtle the poor the poorness of Japanese voice acting. Um, then it, it you know it, it probably cuts both ways. If if you're a Japanese speaker playing a game in which they are acting badly in English, it's probably not so profoundly obvious. Um, yeah, but um, but no, I would. I mean, yeah, I, I found overall it, the the story. Um, the, there there weren't too many cutscenes in this game to kind of completely throw me out of the world. And I also think the way that the sort of cutscenes were directed, the way the characters were introduced, um, sort of nodded back nicely to the earlier games in the series. The way the way that they were, the way the way they were directed, sort of bringing in characters in in a certain way, had a slightly otherworldly, maybe slightly David Lynch. Twin Peaks sort of style to it, uh, you oh, know definitely. the way that Michelle suddenly turns turns up singing and all that sort of thing, and that is obviously a throwback to what Team Silent were trying to do, which was you know kind of recreate as one of our, our excellent correspondents said in a previous podcast, you know it was a Japanese team trying to create American horror, uh, you know, yeah, in, a, in, you know, through the multiple lenses kind of thing. Yeah, it's curious. Um, the the uh, the early Silent Hills were basically yeah Americana through through the lens of a um, Japanese developer yeah. really and now we're back in America and things look and feel very different I mean th- this is the next thing we should talk about the whole look and feel of 
the game world and Silent Hill is remarkably different. I mean, it, yeah. it mm. th- there are obviously you've got the names of the characters and the basic outline, but once you're in there, like it's in, uh, it's interesting the way they did it to me. This so in in the streets instead of uh, you know what was originally fog or mist, and then as the series went on, became ash because of the film possibly. Um, then uh, is is now I, I mean I seem to remember sort of slightly melty snowflakes in the original or what I thought were what were then but maybe it was canonically ash but in this it's snow it is definitely snow you know yeah. mm-hmm. this place is icy and cold and when we go into the other world such as it is in this game um, these are known as nightmares these uh, these six sequences where they're, they're the only time you're actually in danger of getting game over um this is when the whole world frosts over and i think it's a cool idea but i think that the the wii's graphics probably don't sell it as much as i would have liked if i'm honest no that that's that's really interesting because um these sequences for me are by far the most scared I've ever been in a Silent Hill game to, mm, to really? so far. That's yeah. interesting. And, and I, I, I will admit, I think it plays into some of my own personal fears in that I'm not, I'm not very claustrophobic, so tight corridors and all of that stuff don't really bother me that much. But I have what I like to call context uh, specific agoraphobia in that yeah, like yeah. going outside doesn't bother me that's not what scares me but being alone in the dark mm. um, in a wide open field or, or something like that mm. terrifies me and silent hill shattered memories in these sequences really captured that for me the feeling of being alone in a big open space and something could come at you from any angle i'll bet the last scene on the lake <laughs> oh, oh when yeah the lake was frozen over mustn't can't have done anything for you, you yeah know, that that was terrifying yeah i thought it's, that was really good that actually yeah. it's funny you should say that uh josh um because actually it was something i remember talking to my mum about when i was a kid like having these nightmares where instead of um instead of you know what she would talk about and she she was claustrophobic it was you know tuck tight dark spaces often my nightmares would take place actually on bright hot sunny days in a wide open field because um i would feel more vulnerable yeah like in a in a hot environment where i couldn't um you know i wouldn't be able to run very far or fast yeah know? and uh, and actually as well as yeah okay i could see over my shoulders uh, but whatever whatever the entity was that was watching me could see me from anywhere so i so i do understand obviously these nightmares in this game are darker than that and um yeah i wasn't actually going to talk about the sort of nature of these just yet um but okay. rather the the um the sort of the overall look and feel of the town um, yeah. One of our correspondents says uh, it looks kind of dreamcasty, which I sort of I sort of get. I mean, mm. I guess it's just that you know that it's sort of quite clean of, and sparse in a way. Yeah, there's not the usual layer of of grime on anything, and yeah. um, and obviously it is you know it's effectively the Wii was a you know a, a, a powered up uh, machine. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't as next gen and it wasn't HD as 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 its uh, console rivals. So I think overall the assets do look uh, you know they do look perhaps a bit older than they actually are in a way in mm. that you know this came out two years after homecoming but um 
but overall, you know, I think um, it's not, you know, it's not, I, I didn't find it horrific to look at. I just yeah. didn't think it was, um, I, I think there were games on the, you know, on the Wii that showed off the, the Wii's tech better, most of them by Nintendo, of course. Yeah. I would, what, I, what I was really, what I, what I meant was that things like the actual, the ice and the, and the glow around the doors was just not particularly, yeah. you know, beautifully rendered ice. <laughs> Do you know what and, I mean? And, and, I, and I'd agree with that. I, I don't think... Um, I don't think this is a particularly great-looking game. Um, I think it excels in other areas, though. Um, uh, I I think the lighting in this game is a lot better than Homecoming. Um, I'm sure we're going to get into the actual mechanics of the torch later on. Yeah. But just functionally, as a light source, it is Mm. far better than the torch that you got (laughs) in Homecoming. That's true, yes. And... um, and there were certain sequences in the game where that um, aided the atmosphere. Um, I'm thinking specifically early on in the game where you go into the woods and there's snow falling through the yeah. trees. And because this is your only light source, um, it, it lent that environment a lot more threat. And even though I know I'm not in danger until the ice covers everything, yeah. that, that forest is still intimidating in a way that kind of conjures up kind of like childhood nightmares of being yeah. alone in the woods and the big bad wolf is going to get you. It's, it's yeah, I, I think it's effective in, in leveraging its limited uh, graphical um, artistry to create atmosphere that maybe wasn't present in better looking Silent Hills. It does a lot less with ambient sound though I think overall this yeah. game doesn't it? There's, yeah. You know it's got generally quite um, they go for fairly you know realistic uh, sounds with you know nicely rendered and, and, and effective good you know wind and mm. birds and you know whatever else but there's not the usual sort of cacophony of Akira Yamaoka machine noises mm. to make you constantly you know just terrified about everything um, so I, I quickly very quickly came to terms with the fact that I, I knew I was only ever in danger in the in the nightmare sequences, which yeah. took a lot of the the thrill and the threat out of the the regular exploration for me. Um, Nick, you were playing it as a duo, which I mean, it's kind of a weird way to play a survival horror, anyway. In the sense that I think it can be a lot. I've done it before, and I think it can be a lot of fun because mm. you kind of share the scares. But also, if it, but the but the bits where there aren't scares going on, I think you know you can kind of take each other out of it by just kind of you know sort of uh, um, second guessing what's coming and that sort of thing. Um, it, it, quite quite possibly, yeah. Um, <laughs> we, I don't know. I, I don't know really. Um, I th- we certainly both still obviously for for no real reason panicked when the uh, <laughs> <laughs> when the ice came along because it, yeah yeah it, it just signified uh, big I mean the nightmare sequences in, in shattered memories were in many ways kind of a great exercise in the way that panic um, just engenders confusion because if you weren't entirely focused on. Um, what was coming up and what was ahead of you you could so easily get lost and then piled on so yeah. at the very at the very least when the nightmare sequences came came up we just we both basically shut up <laughs> and just yeah, yeah. um for the sake of concentration um 
but uh, there's some great use of the uh, of the of the Wii speaker in this game and in those sequences that was like and, and that was the thing I was most mm. conscious of you know playing it in in the same uh, relatively small flat as my girlfriend kind of hearing this kind of this high pitched squealing coming out of my what is meant to be your phone obviously in this game your mm. smartphone effectively replaces your radio and you've got this uh, if you've got your Wii speaker your Wii remote speaker turned up you've got this kind of constant high pitched wail and that added a lot of tension for me in the in the nightmare sequences combined with the being lost um so yeah we may as well get straight back into these um so josh you found these the scariest bit in uh, for you in any silent hill game and that's yeah that's yeah. quite cool but see for me and uh i know if tony had been on this one uh he would have he would have said the same thing he uh he despised the fact that it was just felt like you were lost the whole time in them um right. so mm. although that engendered panic um i found it too much of a a kind of just a trial and error maze i, I don't know there, there could be logic to it but um I get very frustrated kind of running the same sequences over and over again, just, you know, eventually trying out the right extra door. Yeah, it presents itself as a mad dash, but, it, yeah, it is a maze, essentially. And um, I, I can see how that would that would kill the tension once you've been round, been through the same section three or four mm. times. That's it. And, um, I, and I did, this is where I did resort to walk through for some of these. Um, I was very pleased to find out that, I kind of knew in advance that there were only six of these segments in the game because I think if it had been if, I think if it had been something that could spring could be sprung on you at any time um or uh, or there were you know like 15 of them or something it, it would have just it would have ground me down yeah but because it was a, a finite and manageable number I found it easier to play through and and the rest the rest of your progress is so kind of you know plain sailing because there's no you know the puzzles are not particularly hard we'll talk about those um except maybe one or two and uh, I, th- I think this would have been a stumbling block for many um but i'm not saying that all that said i don't i don't i think they could have been more interesting for me yeah. and and scarier but that i was definitely on edge throughout them with that that high-pitched whine and the, and yeah. the thought of being grabbed by these um sort of yeah little feral things i i, I do agree with everything you're saying i i think um, in a lot of ways, Silent Hill Shattered Memories is a collection of great ideas that have been fleshed out to a certain extent, and I enjoy what's there, but could have used a little longer in the oven and a little bit more experimentation to elevate this from being a good game to a great game. But just in just in terms of the atmosphere, those moments struck it really tapped into something that uh it just tapped into something personal yeah. with me and I, I i completely agree like mechanically it's really simple and uh especially in the last third of the game those those uh those sequences can get quite frustrating um but yeah for whatever reason it, it felt like silent hill was tapping into something a, a mm. type of horror that was a little closer to home for me yeah and apparently yeah. the mm. so the we should talk this game this game has only one enemy type basically yeah uh, so we've obviously in previous ones we've talked about the various horrific monstrosities that come after you in Silent Hill in this uh, these really the first time you see them their appearance is set and they are little 
sort of fleshy children or or smaller beings um and all they do is run after you and grab you there's no there's no you know disembowelments or gutting or having your face spewed off with acid they grab you and eventually they drag you down and it turns out at the end of the game that these these effectively represent Cheryl's distraction or ultimate ultimately her knowledge that her father is dead that's what they really represent isn't it it's like they're trying to mm. they're trying to pre- prevent Cheryl from having this fully formed uh image and memory of her father by by dragging her out of this fantasy so in a way you know that you could you could argue that they're actually you know in 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 real terms they're kind of a good thing but yeah yeah, yeah. and you see that in the way that they kind of visually sort of warp um mm. over time as well obviously depending on on, on what yeah, apparently be doing. so yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen uh we ended up getting what i believe are called the abstract versions where they essentially right. look, look like they've had sections chopped out of them oh, okay and these, yeah these kind of cross cross uh, sort of growths out of their heads it's very very strange um but yeah i do i do wish there there was more variation in the enemies that that pursued you uh, um what did you what did you both think about the, the the fact that there was no combat i honestly seeing as the combat uh in silent hill games have have has never been the strong point for me i actually found it quite refreshing that yeah, the game just decided let's just focus on our strengths and get rid of the stuff that's just busy work. Um, I, I, it certainly made the enemies more threatening in this game because mm. I, the amount of enemies that are introduced, you look at them and you go, wow, that's terrifying, and then you hit them five times with a stick and then suddenly and all get- the fear is sapped out of them. <laughs> and you get thrown um, into the QTEs every every 20 yeah. seconds. Um, Whereas with these creatures, they never lost their sense of menace. Um, even when like the mazes got frustrating, these creatures, I still perceived them as a deadly deadly threat not just some creature i could whack with a baseball uh, mm. you know baseball bat um yeah i mean I-, I wish they had added more mechanics on top of just run- so you have the flare which scares yeah. them away mm-hmm. but i wish there was more than that um you can they- knock you can knock scenery over to slow them down that's yeah. by shaking the nunchuck left or right but that's um, but so frustrating to even accomplish that I never do you did think? it. I didn't have a problem with that. So I, I, mean, I never managed to do it successfully. But oh, okay. No. Yeah. No, I didn't have any problems with that at all. But um, the yeah, I mean that obviously we remote and nunchuck controls are you know in 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 the minds of some uh, controversial by their very presence. Um, and I did find early on when I was getting grabbed, and it doesn't take too time, too many times of being grabbed before you're game over and you have to restart the nightmare sequence. Yeah. I was finding that I, my my natural thing was to wildly flail my arms around, and actually the game and the controls are much more subtle than that. If one grabs your back, you thrust your elbows backwards and he throws them off. If one grabs your front, you thrust them forward, side to side, same thing, and it does work. It do, It's pretty much, uh, I'd say, you know, as as far as waggle controls go, I'd say it's about 95% reliable, which is, which is pretty decent. Um, Certainly for a Wii game. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, and this is uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it has no Wii Motion Plus. And similarly, you no. know, the, using the flashlight in the rest of the game is the the fidelity is absolutely spot on. Um, 
it, it I thought it really really worked well but I was yeah I mean I, to answer your question Nick I was really happy that there's no combat in this game the same mm. reasons as Josh really in that the combat in all the previous Silent Hills hadn't really amounted to much from my point of view um, certainly not in Homecoming uh, I don't think yeah I mean I, I, it's I just underwhelming I think that's that's what it was yeah. I was kind of glad that suddenly that 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 particular that particular mechanic was suddenly taken away from you um even though even though i would have liked a few more sort of creatures that differed in terms of behavior to make the the, the running away a little bit a little bit more varied yeah and there are some comedy moments when you know they burst out the door in front of you and then they neither grab you nor you can nor can you go <laughs> around them or through them so you end up kind of bumping into them um but it's still enough to you know it still had me kind of you know my heart was going at a slightly faster pace so i guess it's effective mm. in that way but the fact that i ended up resorting to a guide rather than playing it you know properly in inverted commas trying to find my way through i just i just don't have patience for that sort of a of a maze um, yeah because I, I thought the, the the moments where if you would choose to hide from them could actually become quite tense well i was yeah i saw that they introduced that quite early on mm. um hide under this bed but don't stay there too long remember to switch your flashlight off yeah um yeah. which you can do but i was expecting something more like um outlast which i fairly recently played um which you know has great moments of tension where you know slavering monsters come shuffling into a room and sniff around and then walk out but apparently in this they just uh they just you know pick up on where you are after a while and drag you out and drag you out i mean yeah. certainly certainly sort of alien isolation and um amnesia set have kind of recently set the bar a lot higher for that kind of hide, yeah. hide them up type thing yes yeah um and then you have your smartphone and that's another thing which uh, i mean again i'd I, I always like smartphones being used in games pretty much because I think, you know, it's it's quite an interesting it's something that's happened in the real world that's that's gone into games in in and it actually makes a lot of sense in a lot of games, you yeah. know, because we do actually have a map with us now wherever we go. You know, I mean, we never did. It never made sense in the old days, but now it does. But in this case, like the smartphone generally in the game I thought was was excellently implemented except in yeah. the nightmare sequences where you have to bring it up, look at the yeah, map. Yeah, that's not good. It gives you a trail to show where you've been, um, but you can't really do anything or move at any pace at all while you've got the smartphone out. So you have to bring it up and then go into the map and look at where your checkpoint is. And then the checkpoint is never uh, as the crow flies, and that's the whole point of these mazes. And I realise it's just there to add to the tension and whatever, but but it, once again it became frustrating to the point that I used walkthroughs. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly agree with you uh, about yeah bringing aspects of modern technology in because I, I still see a fair few horror games that that use a kind of a you know a slightly corrupted vcr filter which <laughs> yeah. seems very very odd in this day and age but yeah um yeah yeah i mean um, i mean also just having that phone uh allows you to at least try doing all the things that you're meant to do in a survival situation like call the police yeah. or call anyone yeah. now that that fails but it, it it immerses me in the world because yeah. i 
I, you know, if I was in that situation, my first, the first thing I would do is call the police. Mm. And and so rarely in horror games <laughs> yeah. and horror movies are guilty of this as well. Yeah, do the characters just call the police yeah. and get, get the professionals involved? So it was great, you know, playing it and going, oh, okay, there is an a- explanation for why this is pointless. Now I can move on with the story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we should talk about the the number of numbers you can dial in the game. There are many. Um, yeah. I don't know, like thirty or or more. Um, sometimes it's characters, uh, and and there are actually optional conversations that you can have depending on um, how the game's been going so far. But there's also there are numbers uh, in the world everywhere, and actually it's one of the things that decides what your Harry's like by how many numbers he calls and which numbers they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just, you know, you're looking for your missing daughter or you believe you are, that's you believe that's what you're doing. You're wandering around a shopping mall and you can dial like uh, customer service helplines, you know, for the for broken toys, uh, competition lines. You can apply for a job as a janitor or or something like that, and um, on all, all this sort of all, all this sort of thing. Um, and I suppose on the flip side of what you were just saying Josh you could argue that, that almost that sort of behavior almost takes you out but it but then again it plays back into the idea that this is actually Cheryl's Cheryl's sort of anxiety maybe the yeah. idea is that if if her da- if her vision of Harry was a man who went around drinking womanizing and when he was supposed to be looking for her was actually phoning up prostitutes or uh, a number to go on a water tour um he was a he was a bad dad, and that and that plays into the ending. Yeah, I I, I mean I I know a lot of people tend to um, kind of skip over a lot of these these little bits and pieces in games, like say audio logs in Bioshock or what have you. But I I, I love all these things, um, all these non essential things, because yeah, they add they add texture to the world. You know, whether or not it's the real world or <laughs> you know yeah. Cheryl's perception, I I think it's wonderful with the detail. I think it helped going in for me knowing that this game, or at least ha- having the perception that this game was analysing everything I was doing and and mm. trying to craft the game to my own personal experience. Um, so I, it, it kind of made me want to explore every nook and cranny, as you say, and and listen to all these phone calls and 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 trying and engage with as much as of the game as possible, because I wanted to see what would happen if I did all that stuff. Now, yeah. having actually done some research, I know that the, the amount of influence you yeah. have on the game is actually quite limited. Yeah. Um, but just having like not knowing that the first time I played it and and it all being this elaborate magic trick that I was completely unaware of it made me think that everything could possibly influence what the final outcome would be yeah and there were a couple of interesting I, I thought you know some of the calls uh like there's one where you uh, you actually have a dialogue or Harry has a dialogue with uh, the bridge operator guy who's who's at home in bed and you wake him up and you say how do I get this bridge down and he start you know I mean obviously the way you get the bridge down is a ludicrous puzzle that wouldn't work in real life but yeah. but the point the, the the fact that he actually you know it reminds you that there are other people in this rather sparsely populated world again this is you know this is silent hill you're walking around in a, in a fantasy um, you only see people when the game wants you to see people, so it's kind of it's kind of a weird idea that actually there is a whole you know 
there or there yeah ostensibly is a whole world out there for harry to interact with um there's another one where he finds himself in the basement of the mall is it and he phones up phones up a security guard guy and the guy says you know just step into the light and wave into the camera kind of thing and he just uh he he blows it out but in there's interesting things like that and then there are um the more meta ones like the konami customer support line um which i didn't actually find the number in the game but uh, I, I saw it listed elsewhere and um and uh yeah and you get told in no uncertain terms that you're beyond help <laughs> which is quite good i thought uh, other things to do with the phone um there are uh, oh, yes it's your camera as well um some sometimes the camera is used to uh, solve puzzles um but there are also these e- sort of optional things called echoes um so sometimes you get a sense um that there's uh, there's there's lingering energy of of past events in places um and you can again if you if you actually take the time out to photograph these things you can kind of um it fills in elements of the world but i'm not sure about the honesty of all or some of this stuff because when you actually realize at the end of the game what was what was in fact going on it makes less sense some of this sort of flesh the fleshing out silent hill is this place where you know weird and horrible things happen and kids are dying and all this sort of thing uh there, there probably is a good justification and reason for everything in the game but um that stuff felt uh to me a little bit like sort of maybe it was um tacked on padding collectible stuff um rather than essential to the the core experience yeah i'd say so i mean i i think they would in tone they were suitably eerie in yeah. kind of ad- like like you say added texture to the world but when you find out it's it's essentially um someone's remembrance it seems a mm. little bit odd they would have all these these kind of ideas about you know the, yeah. the memories and travails of of other people there yeah um, yeah it, it it would make more sense in in say silent hill 2 where yeah. my kind of interpretation of that game is that it's like a, a form of purgatory for for the dead mm. so to have all these stories kind of cluttered about the world would make more sense because okay these are other people who have come to Silent Hill after dying, and if Har- and if Harry Mason was a a, de- a dead person, that would make sense. But yeah, as you say, he's a figment of another character's imagination. Yeah, yeah. In this in this telling of Silent Hill, Silent Hill is just a town, basically, isn't it? It's yeah, just the people it's are just drawn a, to. Yeah. yeah. But does that is that still are people still drawn to it, or is that not even part of it? I'm not sure. I I I have a feeling that at some point in development, like this game probably was the traditional kind of view of what Silent Hill was. Mm. But then this kind of new. I I don't want to speak with authority on this. I'm just I'm just bab. I'm just yeah speculating yeah. here. But like all of this, all of this extra stuff kind of feels like content that would have been in a team silent game mm. whereas it it, it kind of clashes with the conclusion that this game draws i i don't know i i mean is it entirely clear that is it made crystal clear that this is definitely a figment of um of uh, uh, mason's imagination or is hmm. it 
or is it uh, left ambiguous? It could could we interpret this as uh, actually his ghost trying to find her again, or something like that? I'm not. I'm actually not entirely sure mm. whether uh, that's uh, a, d- a definitive conclusion. Whether he is just a figment of her imagination. I prefer it that way because I think it lends this game much mm. more uh, depth and um, and it makes it stand out from the rest of the series. But yeah. I'm not sure. Puzzles-wise, um, now obviously the game uses uh, the uh, motion controls and the pointer um, in in a number of ways. Uh, now I think, in, in I think for me it was both a good and a bad thing because in some ways it meant that the puzzles were not really even puzzles; they were just interact with the world and you will solve because yeah, interact because with toys. The, yeah, like you know, spin spin the. Um, uh, sp- spin the bubblegum machine and stuff like that was, you know, it's fairly... I mean, th- there were clues to these puzzles and you had to kind of pick up on... There the, were multi-part sort of elements to them, like you might have to photograph something and then observe the colours within and then recreate those in the, in the world. But sometimes, like the first puzzle, and I realise it is just the first puzzle, is simply find the rattly can because it's the one with the key in. Um, but, you know, I do still quite like the concept of um although generally i'm an advocate of traditional video game controls joypads and joysticks and whatever i still think there are interesting uses of motion controls to be had like the flashlight in this game yeah um like like the way that you hold up the Wii remote to your ear in this game to use it as a phone i i I find stuff like that quite quite exciting still even though several games have done it um and i think i think my favorite puzzle in this one was the one where you use the shadows in the art room oh that was exactly (laughs) it's very visually evocative that it's really clever Mm. i just thought just i mean again in a way it makes absolutely no sense like (laughs) if you actually consider but then i suppose the the get out clause you've always got with this is that it isn't real it's like this is this is yeah. a figment anyway but um but yeah having to having to hold up a flashlight to a to a load of um a rearrange a load of uh, sculptures in an art room um to uh, to pay, uh, get a code uh, sh- as as shadows on the walls um i thought that was that was really clever um there's also i, I sp- yeah the going around the principal's room with uh, looking for clues uh, to reset her password, I thought that was yeah. uh, his. Pa- was it his password or her password? I think it was her. Yeah, yeah. His, yeah. No, it was a him. I think because was it him? Yeah, because yeah, you phone his ex-wife. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I thought that was a good idea. It was the kind of thing that made made me think um, you, you could go further. You could go further with that. Um, yeah. And, uh, but then you'd have to build a whole intranet, or at the very least. And if you had to build a whole internet, you'd be in a huge amount of trouble. You'd be in, you'd be in a rock star style <laughs> development situation. With exactly. Unlimited yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Josh, puzzles, how did you feel about them in this game? Obviously, we're, we're, again, it's another way in which the game steps away from the traditional survival horror thing of get yeah. funny key and put it in funny hole. Um, I, I mean, I I enjoyed them throughout. I mean, I I agree with much of what you said in that most of them are relatively simple, but there was a tactile satisfaction of picking stuff yeah. up and piecing them together um, that you you didn't get from previous Silent Hill games, um, and it never got to the point where the puzzles just 
outright frustrated me, which I appreciated considering, you know, some of the earlier entries in the series. Mm. Um, there wasn't a puzzle quite like that tile puzzle in Silent Hill Homecoming, which made me want to tear my hair out. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, all, yeah, all of it was just pleasant. Um, nothing particularly challenging, but it, it it was all fun to do. I suppose the only puzzles with any... Um real uh stress around them were the ones that they included in the nightmare sequences towards the end of the nightmare sequences yeah. so there's one where you have to go back outside unless uh no you definitely do have to go back outside there's there's one where you can skip the having to go back outside by photographing something in advance if you happen to have done that um but there's another puzzle where uh three uh ice figures are blocking your your escape um and to eliminate them you have to go and photograph various scenes of sleaze around silent hill school um but that takes you back outside into the into the domain of the of the fleshy creepers which um yeah i mean that that added that added a little something a little frisson but um but equally i just started to really fear getting lost again <laughs> Um, one more element in the world again the um the sort of uh you know going up to things in this world you walk into a room and there's usually an arrow um over something it it doesn't expect you to kind of go up to everything in the game and see if it's interactable mm, that's with, that's a good thing <laughs> i think it's a good thing yeah it, it's it's not realistic again but it would it would have just padded out the game horrifically or you would have just stopped doing it um, but there are, you know, like in a corridor full of lockers, there will be one or two lockers that you can interact with. And those are the ones that will be, they'll have a little arrow and you can go up and open them. And there might be something inside, including uh, these mementos that you can, these are the game's collectibles. But they're more than that, um, in that they, the, the ones you collect and how many you collect uh, does inform the end of the game. Which sort of brings us to the ending. So I think there are there are five distinct endings, not including the uh, the comedy ending. Or is it? It might be more than that actually. But um, I got I the yeah. The, go on. There are there are kind of two uh, separate kind of. So there's the ending that you get when you meet Cheryl at the yeah, end right. mm-hmm. and then there's the ending that you get which is kind of the videotape ending and I believe there are uh, yeah there are four of those uh, the videotape endings yeah. the lost uh, the love lost uh, sleaze and sirens wicked yes. and weak and drunk dad one and then you get <laughs> the UFO, uh, UFO yeah. ending as well but um, the the uh, the meet Cheryl ones. There's only three, I believe. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So there's actually there's there's actually I suppose a number a, a larger number if you include the different. Um, but you can only get the the second stage ending can only be uh, depending on what you've got in the first stage. But um, yeah. depending on yeah depending on how you've been throughout the game. Um, so if you've been uh, if you haven't been um, particularly sexually motivated, hanging around in brothels. Um, looking at characters, uh, looking at female characters changing in mirrors while they're in their bedroom, that sort of thing. Um, not looking around their stuff. Uh, generally, not getting involved in drugs and alcohol. 
generally being nice you get the you get the the strongest uh, ending where mm. uh Cheryl sort of meets the phantom of her father and uh he you know she accepts that he's dead and she moves on um there's a there's a guilty version where which I haven't I've seen but I I didn't get because I was I was a good guy um uh, uh, yeah, guilt-ridden and angry, and uh, and then there's the third where Cheryl remains in denial. Mm. Yeah. Well, I ended up getting the the first one there where she yeah. accepts yeah, her father's same, death yeah. and, and resolves to move on. And yeah. I, I found that I found that very very poignant, very very well acted and well well scripted actually. Um, yeah. And then there was a scene where Cheryl meets her mother and they comfort each other and go home together. And I think you don't always get that, that little excerpt, mm. I think with some of the other endings. Mm. Um, but I no. got that. And then, and then I got the love lost ending, which was the, uh, the home video where, um, Harry and his wife are divorcing and he's packing the car and, and leaves. And once again, I thought it was, it was a very nice moment where he addresses Cheryl, Cheryl, who's behind the camera and, and, um, kind of pushes the camera down once he said his piece. Cause I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a sucker for moments where characters kind of have to do the, the thing that's right, but inevitable. And it's all very sad yeah. for that fact. I thought it, I, I really did appreciate the fact they kind of, with that ending, they went for, something that was very melancholic rather than sort of b- yeah brutal and nasty i like the oh, way no. it expands on the whole uh, the whole silent hill 2 thing um and it's interesting look looking into the criteria for getting the actually you know the ending the good ending in a way is is the least it might be you know the nicest one but in some ways it's the least interesting i think um you know depending on how you've acted if, if you end up with the one where Cheryl is still, you know, angry and blames herself for the whole the whole situation. Um, but I think the really interesting one is is the one where she basically th- the whole you know session with Doctor K uh, has been a waste of time. So you have to um, basically kind of disregard everything he says, kind of be very negative to him. Don't look at him. Stare at, around the room. Um, no, none of the activities that you get given, which uh, which are sort of quite interesting um, psych tests, you just don't do them. Basically, you just stop, you just give up, or uh, or whatever. Um, and that that leads you to the yeah, the whole thing was a complete waste of time. And and uh, you know, Phantom Phantom Harry is doomed to forever be looking for uh, for Cheryl in her mind, at least anyway. Um, but yeah, it's the it's the it's the clip after the um the good ending that i got you know the love lost one which is the you know the happiest one in a way but also you know bittersweet and that i actually found that i found it quite moving um because it, it was it was a bit of a, a rug pull because you suddenly you are suddenly aware that actually the way you're looking at this you're not looking at the missing girl you're looking at the missing father and uh yeah there's something I know, you know, games have gone there in recent years in that the, the whole, you know, father-child relationship stuff. But um, it was a, it was, a, it's an interesting twist on it even now. I think. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it was the fact that as a whole, the game succeeded in getting me invested, which is something that's, um, I, I think, particularly where games are concerned, is worth its weight in gold. Um, and 
uh, as Silent Hill's always been a very character-driven um, series for me, I was I, I was actually quite glad that this reimagining of um, the story of uh, Harry and Cheryl didn't actually include anything to do with the lesser and the cult. No. Yeah, I was quite glad for that fact. It, it, yeah, yeah, it would be I, something I, I was, I was happy to be happy to show um, other people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, completely agree. Um, I, I, I've expressed in the past that the the cult stuff of the Silent Hill series is kind of my least favorite narrative part of the whole series, and I really respected that Shattered Memories kind of decided to wrap things up on a much more smaller scale intimate moment rather than going there's a god and he's going to destroy the world and all of that nonsense that i really didn't care about having this just boil down to the trauma of a child and getting to terms with who her father was was is was really refreshing in a series that often isn't quite subtle in its closing It was moments. exactly the sort of thing we were kind of calling out for in the at the Silent Hill 2 podcast, sort of saying, yeah. you know, wouldn't it have been, well, probably more, more appropriately, the Silent Hill 3 podcast, where, you know, they went back to that story, the, the, the classic Silent Hill story of the Order and, and all that. And actually we were saying, wouldn't it be interesting if just each version of Silent Hill was a different psychological thriller, effectively, a different a different Twilight Zone Tales of the Unexpected type scenario where, you know, yes, there might be a there might be a twist end or there might not be, or but it's just a an isolated story about yeah, and, and yeah, something something interesting and slightly creepy and psychological happens rather than, yeah, like you say, this sort of grand um, demonic showboating thing that goes on with the order stuff, but obviously that does have its fans too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, very vocal, and very vocal indeed. Yes, um, the 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 bit after all the you know the usual Silent Hill multiple ending choice, and yeah, I think you know there there are some interesting variants. It can you know it can go from the the very happy and bittersweet to the really quite miserable with the drunk dad or the abused dad and the abusive mother. I'm not. I mean that one's interesting in the sense that you know does does kind of Cheryl has a an idea of her mother which may or may not be portrayed by how she is to Cheryl. So if assuming her mother's still around, she imagines her dad being, you know, basically treated terribly by her mother. Does that suggest that in, you know, in that version of the story, her mother is actually an awful person and Cheryl's therefore probably had a pretty awful life because that's quite miserable as well. Uh, but after that, the credits roll. Simultaneously, while the credits roll, uh, you get your uh, psych profile uh, from uh, Dr. Kaufman, who's uh, who's been reading your mind or reading your personality throughout the entire game based on all the different things you've done. Uh, and as I say, for me, this was... Um, some places I was impressed... And other places, I was thinking, well, that could be about anyone. This is like a horoscope. Yeah, touch touch of the old P.T. Barnum. Yeah. Um, And then thirdly, there were a couple of things which uh, I think I personally think they got horribly wrong about me based on because it was so much based on the way I was playing as Harry rather than being myself. Um, Yeah. 
so but I know some people had you know I, I remember I think it was Brad Shoemaker on the Giant Bombcast just saying that he was pretty much creeped out by how accurate it was about him uh, about, I, 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 I feel similarly to you in that just the way I play games is just not how I approach daily life yeah um uh, I am I am much more willing to explore and take risks in video games in a way that I'm not willing to do in in real life. So yeah, yeah, I I, I found that it was about fifty percent accurate, mm. um, but most of it that's just the persona I adopt when I play video games. It's not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I suppose that's still quite impressive in a way, but yeah. But yeah, yeah it it, it depends. As, as cool an idea as it is, and I was re- I've been looking forward to seeing this ever since I heard about it. Um, I think it's so much coloured by the way you play the game. In terms of like anyone who starts to play the game now, having listened to this podcast, knows that actually not, you're not even playing Harry. It's effectively you're playing Cheryl's mind or Cheryl's image of Harry. So that kind of creates all these different layers and and. And reasons why you might, you know, you may or may not uh, behave in a certain way. But then again, I suppose if you are, you know, if once you're in that game world, if you are presented, if you know, if you find women attractive and you are presented with images of attractive women, and actually, you know, like the posters in this game aren't particularly, you know, they're not wildly erotic, <laughs> they're not wildly high res. But I suppose naturally, your eye might be drawn towards, you know, images of. Uh, if you're a man, if you're a heterosexual man or a gay woman towards the, towards the scantily clad pictures on the wall. Uh, and then, and then that will inform your, your experience. But if I suppose it's how focused you are on role playing the character of Harry, or if you know, role playing the character of Cheryl pretending Harry's still alive. <laughs> mm. Oh, it's complicated, isn't it? It is a bit. It hurts my head it a little a real, bit thinking about real it. tangle. Which is, you know, which is after the kind of very straightforward and, and not particularly complex or revealing homecoming. Um, it it's it was, I, yeah, I just think it was quite a departure, wasn't it? Um, yeah. In a way, I'd, I don't think there was any reason for it to be called Silent Hill. Um other you know, it's got it's got the place name and it's got the character names and it's got the, the fundamental basis but this could have been a really interesting game in its own right and i wonder how much how much the name was to do with you know marketing power things like that well one thing i did read was that um it it didn't start out as being uh, a reimagining of you know the silent hill origin story yeah Um, it had figures well yeah it had um uh a god what's the phrase just just kind of a temporary project name as Silent Hill Cold Heart, and it was supposed okay. to be about um, a nineteen-year-old character called Jessica Chambers, um, but they they eventually um, decided to to can that in favour of something that they knew Konami would go for, and that it was right. you know there were already established characters ready to go, but they were just doing a different take on it. So it could mm. it could well have been something it could well have been something different. Um, but uh, yeah, well, we'll never quite know. No, so I don't know whether it's better that that it was. So perhaps you know we know that um, over a million people bought it and presumably played it, and that's you know that's that's quite cool because I think it's you know 
it gets things it does things well and it does things badly in my opinion but i think overall it was an interesting experience um but yeah as a as a wii exclusive game in 2010 if it hadn't had silent hill in the name uh, well no it wasn't wii exclusive was it for very long it was also on two uh older systems um I wonder how if it hadn't been called Silent, if it had just been called Shattered Memories, you know, hmm. how how many copies would it have sold? Uh, I, I imagine that just having the Silent Hill prefix there was probably probably worth about seventy five percent of its sales. Yeah, yeah, easily. Which is kind of a shame. Uh, right, we should hear from our community. We've got some uh, once again. Um, this Silent Hill game provoked uh, more correspondence than a lot of the games we cover. Even though, as we know, not that many people played it in terms of a percentage of our our community. Um, but people were motivated to email in in their droves. Well, in in a handful. Uh, and we'll start with Sean Thomas who emailed into podcast at caterrince.com and he says I'd stop short of saying Silent Hill Shattered Memories is an essential play but it's certainly an intriguing one with a fair amount of originality I immensely enjoyed how it plays with your mind the fact that it's kind of a remake of the original yet not quite how I remember it added to the slight unease of play the psychoanalysis throughout gives the player a welcome breather, but also affected the gameplay in some fascinating ways, such as the landscape changing colour depending on which crayons you use, or your earlier decisions dictating your route through the final funfair. Touches such as the characters being more or less sexualised depending on where you go, point the camera, or how regularly you saved affecting your final assessment felt like long overdue builds on Metal Gear Solid's Psychomantis fight. The use of Wiimote was also responsible for some great moments. The motion puzzles, such as getting out of the sinking car, were decent enough, but better the touches were using it to aim your torch, an effect which felt so much more natural than the static fixed focus you normally get using one in a game. And when the tinny built-in speaker blasted out that eerie static... The sparse soundtrack and terrifying effects when near objects like the child's swing or TV set burdened with horrific memories, the best element of the game in my book, were terrific, and a trick I'm always stunned more, more developers overlook. The gameplay itself was terrifying for the f- first few hours. When the ice set in and those infantesque monsters appeared, my heart rate would go through the roof as I raced through those tight environments. However, when you realise that the game would never attack you from outside of that frozen setting, those sections sadly become more about learning a route and not getting angry at the random melee controls. I feel this title could have had more fun lulling you into a full sense of security in those quieter sections than throwing in a few shocks. Having a barren world, limited character interaction and no variation in enemy was a great decision initially, but one that needed shaking up by the end. But what an end. I've watched all of the outcomes online, surprised by how different an experience some players had to me, and plan to replay it at some point when the story details have faded. It's testament to how memorable some of its ideas were that even four years on, I feel like it was only yesterday I went out of my way to find out what horrors befell those people whose belongings I discovered. Uh, We didn't really talk about Yamoka's soundtrack. We should. Um, It seemed like the least... Um, kind of uh, full and satisfying one yet to me, disappointingly. Sadly, yes. (laughs) There's Um, there's very little of it, and it's incredibly kind of understated. Yeah, it's certainly uh, sort of tonally played up the kind of 
the clean ambient and sort of reverberant aspects which i'm sure in some some yeah. degree was a stylistic choice because of the because of the ice theme yes. um and also increasing that that seems to be kind of way yamaoka had been heading over the course of the last two games anyway um and i suppose it dovetailed nicely with the game but no i i, I didn't think it was particularly remarkable when stacked up against say well silent hill 2 3 and 4 which um soundtracks mm. I, I really like but there are there are a few that there are a few tracks that stuck out um there, there's a track called hostility which um made my ears prick up because it has this at one point it has this repetitive metallic sort of groan which mm. sounds like a giant rusted swing moving and i mm. swear it, it's almost exactly the same as the one you hear before entering entering a particular floor in silent hill two's woodside apartments right. and i remember that specifically as a sound effect that froze me to the spot um and i did, did not want to go through that door <laughs> yeah. and I, I do wonder if that was some sort of intentional kind of sonic yeah. callback actually mm. um yeah there's a few songs as well um uh, and there's also a, an actual song um is it you're always no is it you're always on my mind no always, always on my mind always yeah. on my mind yeah, yeah it is, isn't it yeah 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 i knew it was i knew something else had a hit with uh which is uh referred to in a few areas um and obviously yeah of course it makes sense the title makes sense when you know the end of the end of the story but um there's a there's a few uh at least two yamoka originals one at the start and one at the end as well but again they didn't they didn't make the same Im- impression on me as say laura's theme of Laura has done over the years Josh any standout tracks or any overall feelings about Yamoka's work on this one um I I I mean personally I found it a bit more memorable than the music in Homecoming Mm -hmm. um Mm. mainly because I just felt that the the music that was that was there kind of um worked better with the atmosphere that the game was trying to create mm. and um and just the the imagery kind of worked better in tandem with the soundtrack but overall it's it's not memorable i think it's definitely a soundtrack that if it was missing i would definitely notice and its presence would uh, it's uh, it, it not being there would have a negative impact on my experience, but it's it's not Silent Hill Two soundtrack. That's the damn <laughs> no. I, I mean, I obviously this is just pure speculation, but I do wonder whether his um, you know enthusiasm for the series was really waning by this point. I I, I had that feeling, <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, we can only we can only speculate, of yeah. course, but it didn't like. It, it it just makes as much sense as anything. When he was working on those earlier games, he was there in the studio, you know, at least some of the time. I believe most of the time he would have been, you know, effectively part of Team Silent, whereas this yeah, is being made thousands of miles away uh, in America by a completely different team. It's a completely different vision, different look, different atmosphere, different feel. Um, it almost, in a way, it kind of made less sense to... to um, to not have him on this one, but um, yeah, because I mean, in two, three, and four, well, I mean, one, two, three, and four, each time he introduced some element that, that really did take uh, take it in a, a different direction than uh, previous soundtracks, and certainly from uh, Origins onwards, I, I didn't really, I didn't really see kind of much of an uh, appreciable distinction. Um, this is his last one, isn't it? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up we have another email from Jake Laverde or Laverde I don't know I do apologise he says 
This one seems to divide opinion perhaps more than any of the other non-team silent titles, but in my opinion, this is one of the more interesting and fully realised entries into the franchise. While Origins and Homecoming both attempted to recreate the high points of Silent Hill 2, Shattered Memories takes the basic premise of the original and heads in a unique direction. The areas you visit feel lived in, there's a sense of history behind them rather than bland corridors from A to B. This is one of the few non-Nintendo games that feels like it was built around the Wiimote too, and it uses it in some interesting ways. It acts like a torch when walking around and as a speaker for phone calls, little touches that really make the difference when playing. Plot-wise, it's quite bold and avoids tipping into melodrama. The characters you come across are well-written and acted, though they are more conventional than you'd expect for the series. Some of my favourite moments of the game are when you meet Michelle Valdez and you follow the disintegration of her relationship with John. It's a very believable and understated depiction of a life event that you rarely see in video games. Only after completion do you realise how significant this storyline is by serving as an analogy for Cheryl's mental state concerning her father. The twist at the end undercuts the strange events that occur with Harry, but provide an emotionally satisfying payoff. Yamaoka's title track, When You're Gone, recalls the small-town Americana of the first two games and fits well with this game. And the reworking of Always On My Mind is a fresh and unsettling trip-hop take on a country classic, again fitting in with Silent Hill's theme of twisted Americana. The major criticism I have with this game are the chase sequences. Though you can check the map for the route, the game itself doesn't pause, which leaves you open to attack, so you spend ages going round in circles due to a lack of visible landmarks. The length for me is an issue as well. This is a game clearly meant to be replayed, but the 10-hour playtime put me off from doing so. The items you find along the way seem pointless and make me wonder why they weren't cut out completely. Graphically, it's close to a Dreamcast game. At times it's too colourful. The characters' facial animations can be a bit stiff too. Lastly, it spends too much time building a creepy atmosphere and never really comes alive until the end, when Harry seems to be running through the void. It never reaches the unrelenting, bleak, fear-filled, atmospheric heights of the series' early games. Despite these complaints, I still have a fondness for Shattered Memories. As an experiment in game storytelling, it's mostly successful. Out of all the post-Team Silent games, this is the one that's closest in spirit to the original titles. As a game in its own right, it's an engaging experience. It's a shame we'll never see a sequel picking up where this title left off, so it'll always remain as a hint of what could have been. I don't think I've heard too many uh, clamouring for a sequel, but um, but in the sense that that team making another game around you know the idea of psychologically profiling the player and having it affect the world that that could have been interesting. Yeah, and as I say, even if it didn't necessarily have to be a Silent Hill game, could have been you know its own thing. Um, and if it, I mean, obviously you couldn't repeat the same twist, but you could tell a, an in, a different and interesting story each time. Hmm. Uh, next up, we have another email from James Cresswell. He says, I'm certainly glad that Kane and Rince encouraged me to replay Silent Hill Shattered Memories, one of the few Silent Hill games I still have access to. I remembered enjoying it, but being very slightly disappointed when I first played it on release, largely because I hadn't played the original Silent Hill at that point and was hoping for something closer to a straightforward remake of that game to fill the gap in my experience of the series. Now that I have played the first Silent Hill, I've found Shattered Memories to be a highly rewarding and interesting game in its own right. There's a strong spirit of innovation in how the game plays, with aspects of the original game's story and with the conventions of the series presenting them in a different light, with a stronger focus on purely experimenting with how to tell stories, both the main story and the fragmented melancholy side stories throughout, in an interactive medium. 
There are flaws, of course. The puzzles never pose any challenge and are most often just totally banal. And the chase sequences tend to build more annoyance than tension. But I can see many of the ideas in the game echoed in a number of more recent critically acclaimed games like Kentucky Route Zero and Alien Isolation. And I'd love to see some of Shattered Memories finding its way into Silent Hills, if that still exists. Oh. 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 Uh, yes, that email was sent uh, a couple of weeks ago. It may not have the same distinctive atmosphere of the original Team Silent games. It displays an understanding of some of what made them so atmospheric and special, while also showing how the series could effectively innovate in future instalments, which, of course, is the wall the series seems to have been deterred by in recent times. Yeah, uh, well, that's uh, second mentions for both Kentucky Route Zero and Alien Isolation there, which you'd think would be completely, you know so far apart in terms of reference points and yet and yet they've both come up twice so yeah fascinating um finally a regular contributor the reviewist i played silent hill shattered memories on the psp which i'm told is the lesser of the experiences with the wii's version being superior in both immersion and graphical fidelity however i still found it a captivating gaming experience overall It's one of the most curious entries in the series and, for my money, one of the most interesting, taking on the original game's vague premise, but couched in an entirely new experience. As remakes go, it at least has the dubious novelty of not being universally reviled by the fanbase simply for being made, and for a sequel to to the hit series, the broad steps it takes away from the older classic entries and the more recent non-Team Silent games actually helps the game and experience stand out. And unlike the irritatingly similar titles, Book of Memories still feels like a Silent Hill game and not a roguelike mod. The key aspect of Shattered Memories for me is the psychological side. Taking the underused idea from previous games whereby seemingly innocuous in-game actions would subtly alter the end given, this game takes that idea and runs with it. It's a fascinating idea, allowing the players literal interactions with Dr. Kaufman, as well as more clandestine decisions, such as what in-game items the player's gaze lingers upon, to determine both the form of enemies and the aesthetic design of Michelle, as well as the game's ending. It's a bold choice, one which has actually put several friends of mine right off playing the game at all. The ink blots, questionnaires and even colouring in were a welcome and even maybe underused aspect of the experience, and the post-credit psychological breakdown was both unexpected and mildly unnerving in its accuracy. It's an experience I'll always find fascinating and insightful in a horror game that ultimately substitutes horror for unease and combat for irritating frustration. Yes, the enemies. Whether they work better on the Wii, I have no idea, but the PSP version turns into a slog or annoyance as you are often lost in samey-looking ice caverns, being leapt on by gibbering, skinned monkey weasels. A scenario which would be alleviated by the use of the in-game map if it didn't take so many button presses to make it go away again when finer controls are required. This, sadly, is the letdown in an experience which managed to make me fall in love with Silent Hill, Cheryl, Lisa, Dahlia, and, in my game, even Harry once again. Yes, my Harry was a lovable dad taken away too soon. What that says about me, I don't know, but the final reveal at the lighthouse actually felt moving to me, as did re-watching the opening video sequence, understanding now that the experience was about an entirely different loss than the one I thought I was playing. Lovely stuff. Thank you one and all for your contributions. Lots of uh, lots of similar uh, rhetoric there. Um, fascinated by the overall experience frustrated by the by the by the non-combat sequences and it's not like i think that this goes for us as well it's not like everyone's crying out for the combat to return it's just that they wanted 
it feels like they wanted something that was less annoying instead um it's not like everyone's saying you know they should have given me a baseball bat to swing about with my Wii remote and have sort of Zelda style you know sword sword and shield type stuff um it's like i don't know as i say having played um outlast if anyone's played that um that's a game that i think shows that you really can do non-combat horror in a in a way that works i I think i think it does work there because i was i was on edge and tense but i was always also sort of aware of where i needed to go what i needed to do how to get out how to manipulate these enemies of course, there's um, amnesia, uh, amnesia of, yeah, the as well, scene. which I, I'm actually surprised we've never actually brought up during these Silent Hill podcasts because I feel like in a lot of ways um, uh, th- those two series uh, two series have a lot in common. They're both about psychological kind of horror and and all of that. But yeah, like those both uh, Outlast and Amnesia, I think really demonstrate how you can do horror without combat. Right, we also have a, a clutch of three-word reviews from Twitter. You can follow us at Kane and Rince. Let's start with Josh and Voidberger. Okay, Voidberger says, not scary, boring. Frozen treasure, earnest yet lacking. Graham Strachan, clever, not scary. Simon Cole, return to form. Ben Naylor says, different and compelling. Richard Naylor says, beautiful, brilliant, cluster, flip. (laughs) (laughs) That'll do. Yeah, beautiful and brilliant. Right, uh, we should summarise. And I will go first. Me, me, me. Um, I enjoyed Silent Hill Shattered Memories. I probably enjoyed it as much as any game in the series you know in an overall sense i don't think you know it wasn't as special for me as you know the atmosphere and the and the the true horror of silent hill 2 um but in terms of a of an enjoyable game to play through from start to finish um i enjoyed it i was fascinated by it from really from the very opening moments when you're given the first um set of questions by dr kaufman and the last one is, have you ever cheated on a partner? And um, I don't know what he says if you give the other answer, but I said, no, I haven't. And he said, oh, never cheated on a partner, eh? Really? <laughs> and I had to think about it. I had to think about it. And, and then I had to think about what actually constitutes cheating on a partner. Um, because, you know, there's physical cheating, there's emotional cheating, and there's sometimes somewhere between the two. Um, so the fact that that game had me thinking about, you know, such um, you know, elements of my life going many years back, um, just that hooked me in itself. Um, as I say, the fact that it's a Silent Hill game, it's, I don't know, it's sort of, it just seems sort of odd to me that we're playing, I was playing with Harry and there was Cheryl and it was the same characters in the same town as the original Silent Hill because it, it looked and felt so very different. But it, in a way it didn't matter um it, it it could have been it could have been that or it could not have been that but what is odd is that i think the game that it reminded me the most of or games in fact are david cage's games i think that uh i was i was probably reminded of fahrenheit and heavy rain as much as i was reminded of uh <clears throat> any of the silent hill games but it, with it you know with its quirky 
uh, sort of interface with the world in the same way that in Heavy Rain you had these sort of you know strange on-screen pad commands and sort of this but in this you had you had the Wii remote it had the sort of vaguely noirish feel um you know it didn't have the level of fidelity of graphics as heavy rain but it also had a massive twist and for me the the storytelling and and the twist in this game were infinitely more successful than heavy rains um and yet that was a game that got an absolute ton of attention um, and and a game which I ultimately felt completely let down and even betrayed by because of its awful storytelling and abysmal cheating twist. Whereas this game, I felt properly amused, surprised, and even moved by its by its uh, its late reveal. Um, make of that what you will, Josh. I I really really like. Silent Hill Shattered Memories. I, I think it's the strongest game in the series since Silent Hill 3. Um I think what what appeal what what makes me love this game or like this game as much as I do is that I feel like it's the first game in the series released since Silent Hill 2 that really understood why Silent Hill 2 was as great as it is. Um, Now, I don't think it quite reaches those lofty heights, but having a story about a character's psychology and having them deal with the death of a a significant person in their life is what made Silent Hill 2 so fascinating to me uh, from a narrative perspective. And all of the cult stuff, all of the summoning a god back from wherever he's from, what have you, all of that stuff felt like just just fantasy garbage that really took away from what was most interesting about Silent Hill uh, to me, what was just having it be a nightmare realm that explored the mindset of the the character you're playing as, and and shattered memories does that so successfully throughout. Um, now it, it does have its few quibbles. Like I, I I don't think the the chase sequences are as fleshed out as they should be, despite the fact that for whatever reason they really key into something primal inside of me and ended up being incredibly terrifying for me personally. But I do un- I I come to those moments understanding that that is a very personal thing that it, it's a it's a fear that I have that's very personal and it's not not going to work for everyone but yeah it, i i was just i was just after silent hill homecoming especially revisiting it now after playing silent hill homecoming in full i i just appreciated the daring of this game the the fact that it was willing to take risks with the formula to change it up but also at the same time still understand the core of what made this series special uh yeah i i i really highly recommend uh shattered memories it's not um the absolute kind of like game changer that silent hill 2 was but i think there is a fascinating experience to be had with this game lovely thanks josh let's conclude with our guest nick well uh 
it's going to be kind of difficult not to <laughs> simply regurgitate some of the very good points that everyone else has made, including the contributors. But I think the crucial thing for me is that I came to Shattered Memories almost entirely fresh, um, hardly knowing anything about the game at all, which, as you know, these days, with the new sites as they are, it's almost, it's almost impossible. But uh, I walked in almost entirely fresh, and it's, it's something that actually came, came out came along at the right time because I'd, uh, for a while I was convinced that the fra- franchise had almost entirely run out of steam mm. um, and s- so it is still for me the best of the post Team Silent installments and that's not damning it with faint praise either, it's it's the closest um, to getting it in inverted commas that I think anyone outside Team Silent has, has managed to get and you know I echo um, Josh's points in that respect it's it's poignant poignant it's uh, unsettling uh, it's layered um, and Silent Hill has always been best uh, when it's concerned with the you know the travails of the individual um, you know I, I came in with uh, to the series with Silent Hill 2 like many people did and when it's about a personal journey unadorned by you know anything else um you know cults and gods i've read up on the mythology surrounding that and pretty much in depth but uh only really ever um to show you know how they reflect on the protagonist's narrative and as such i was i was really quite glad the reimagining had little to do with uh, alessa or the cult um uh tonally i like that it was um it was very kind of lonely and melancholic rather than sort of gratuitously sort of brutal and horrifying. Um, I feel that Silent Hill Homecoming tried the latter and came off as a bit half-baked compared to the, the stories of, say, Heather Mason, Heather Mason or Walter Sullivan, which were certainly both brutal and horrific. Um, and ultimately, I, I, I would have loved actually Climax to have been given yet another run at it armed mm. with this sort of approach uh, a much longer original adventure would I, I think have been something really special you know such as um the aforementioned silent hill cold heart which will uh, almost certainly never be realized um so it, it's it's a game that i would definitely recommend to any silent hill fan uh, if people it's, have been staying away from it because of some sort of prejudice um because of its western origins and i think that's daft uh i think it was a great experiment the one that bore significant fruit and with the cancellation of silent hills it to be honest it might be the last we see of that sort of willingness to play with the format for quite a while so yeah Mm. Mm. which would be a real shame because it seemed like a great step in a direction I was really supportive of. Yeah, I mean, right now the the future of Konami as a whole looks quite uncertain. So um, the IP could end up being, you know, could end up being sold on or who knows what. Uh, We can't possibly know at this stage. Uh, Well, Shatter Memories then. That's seven of our eight Silent Hill podcasts and just one month to wait until we tackle Downpour. Will it be a damp squib? I just made that up on the fly. Nice. I'm a genius. <laughs> just <laughs> remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh and Nick and to tell you that next time in issue 176 we conclude our other concurrently long-running series with Wolfenstein The New Order. <laughs>